Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So when Israel launches a ground offensive against Hamas in Gaza, what are the greatest challenges and obstacles the IDF will face? Should a wider war break out with Hezbollah engaging Israel from Lebanon to the north, and possibly Syria, with Israel fighting on at least three fronts, what are the most likely scenarios? Dr. Luprecht suggested at that point the Americans would put boots on the ground. And as powerful as the IDF is, can it engage successfully on two fronts simultaneously? Uh, there's also the situation in Ukraine, and we spoke with uh, Ambassador Alexander Sherba earlier. They still need material and uh, an unabated support. Is Ukraine falling off the international radar? I was asking the ambassador about that. My guest is General Rick Hillier, Canadian Armed Forces, of course, retired former chief of the defense staff. Well, his books are A Soldier First and Leadership. And uh, if you ask to any ask any member of the Canadian Armed Forces who served with General Hillier, you'll inevitably, in all sorts of ways, get two thumbs up. General, how are you? Hey Roy, I'm uh, I'm excellent. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on the show again. Again. Well, you're always welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you are a, your, yours is a voice of credibility at a time we really need it. Um, well, thank you for that. When you when you observed what was going on with Hamas in Israel on October the seventh, so two weeks ago today, the atrocities against is, is Israeli civilians. What were you thinking? Well, uh, you know, first of all, like, just tragic. My goodness. You know, we're all human beings. Uh, we love our children. We worry about our children. We worry about, you know, aged parents or aged relatives. And to see that group, you know, that group slaughtered and, and people dying on both sides of the of the military operations. Uh, it's just tragic. You know, you might, your heart goes out and you say, there must be a better way. And then you realize that, you know, we just simply cannot seem to find a better way. But I also reflect back and just think, oh, my Lord, it didn't have to be this way. Remember back in, uh, and I read history and I love this stuff. And remember back in 1997 or 1998, I think it was, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton landed in Gaza City and was welcomed there by tens of thousands, if not more people on the ground and by the authorities there and by Israel, and the population was ready for a nonviolent future, uh, some kind of relationship with Israel. And unfortunately, after that, it went straight downhill, leading to the uh, 2006 uh, horrible, horrible fighting, a mosque creeping in and being tolerated by the authorities there, and Israel not being on the ground. And I think actually that led us to right where we are now. And I also reflect back that, oh my goodness, what if Yitzhak Rabin had not been assassinated because uh, he was the guy who was leading, you know, the charge because he realized how important it was for peace and for a two-state solution and, and was working with the United States in particular, but the Arab, the Arab world in general, the Palestinians specifically, uh, he could have put that in place if he'd had a few more years and there, but for the grace of God goes, you know, freedom uh, when Yitzhak, uh, and stability and peace when Yitzhak will be uh, was assassinated because of those views. Uh, it's tragic, 
It is. It has been tragic. I watch what unfolds uh, based on the videos that you see taken by the Hamas murderers and, and barbarians. I, I see the bombs that drop and, and people that are killed, and it is just tragic. It wounds me and say, it didn't have to be like this. We had a better start 25 years ago. Why couldn't we have carried on? So here we are on the 21st of October, 2023, two weeks after that murderous assault by Hamas on uh, Israeli c civilians and uh, the state of Israel said, um, we are going to wipe you out. We're going to, we're going to destroy you. The IDF is, uh, is massed on the border of Gaza. They're keeping a wary eye to the north and Hezbollah in Lebanon. General Hillier, how do you assess the military situation? If they go, well, not if, when they go in on the ground, and there's been a lot of speculation, it will probably be, or could be tomorrow. When they go in, what do you expect will happen? Well, uh, first of all, I don't think there's any question of them going in. People have been saying, you know, I haven't gone yet. They haven't gone yet. There are many, many steps that the Israelis want to occur before they actually do go in. That starts with, you know, securing their back door. Uh, in Lebanon and in Syria, and ensuring that regionally they're not going to be stabbed from somewhere else during that time frame. Obviously, development of their intelligence, development of their their relationships around the world, and their and their their relationship with the United States of America is crucial to that. They want to continue to build international support. They want to keep. You know, President Joel Biden visiting Israel was was a brilliant. I think, act on his part, because in a way, I think he bypassed completely a, a usually contentious prime minister. He related directly to so many Israelis and therefore the Israeli people. He brought the American support with him by the president being there. I mean, how incredible is that? And I think that part was absolutely crucial. So Israel's got a whole lot of things it wants to do, including getting all those reserves mobilized, getting them in place getting some training, refreshing, because urban operations, fighting in built-up areas, or fibula, as we used to call it, that is a brutal kind of, uh, of combat. Secondly, or third or fourth or fifth, depending on where you are on my list here, they want to gather information in great, great detail, information and then intelligence. Information allows them to know where the populations are, uh, where the tunnels are, uh, where the centers of, of populations could be, and where perhaps a mass is planning on uh, defending or what they're going to do or how they're going to do it. Intelligence is really more specific information, which is where are the mass leaders, uh, where are their sort of command and control nodes from where they will send out usually runners rather than people rather than try to do it uh, over cell phones, and not, even though they will use those. And then while they're doing all of that, and these things are in secret in, in priority, but they're also done uh, in parallel. So while you're gathering information, gathering intelligence, and building regional support and building support across the world, you're actually starting to act on what you know. And that's why we've seen all those airstrikes taking out the tunnels underneath. And uh, who has not seen a, a bomb or a missile go in? and then just a plume of smoke and explosion straight upwards. And that means they've hit one of those many, many tunnels or a command node that's uh, buried in a tunnel. So they're taking action all at the same way. But they're simply building, and they'll decide when they will go in. It could be a day or two. It could be another week or two. I don't think much longer than that, uh, because they also are hoping that many of the 700,000 to a million people in northern Gaza can move south out of the combat zone and let them do that part first. So they're going in. It's going to be the most brutal operation. Uh, it's difficult. There are going to be no, numerous casualties on both sides or all sides, the Hamas terrorists, the Palestinians, or the innocent population that lives there, and the Israeli soldiers that are going in. 
General, do you see, and I talked to a number of people about this today, do you have concerns? Do you see the development potentially of a wider Middle East war with all of the demonstrations that are taking place, the cautious steps that are being taken by leaders and governments in other Middle Eastern countries now as they're looking at the size of the demonstrations, they're seeing the anger in their, in their, in their national populations. Can you see this becoming a, a regional war? Well, I have great fears that it would. Yes, this all goes back to Iran, without question. If Iran, who had provided at least 90% of the weaponry and the, and the instigation and the manipulation and the training to the Hamas uh, murderers who killed all those innocent people who have hijacked a population of about 2 million, it all goes back to them influencing and making this happen. It all goes back to Hezbollah, what they are doing, how they are supportive, all goes back to Iran. And equally, what's happening in Syria goes back to Iran supporting Assad. Uh, Iran wants a, a Middle East, a region that is tumultuous, chaotic, unsettled, insecure, violent. That way they can manipulate it to their heart's delight. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, not in Iran, obviously, but the Arabian Gulf, the, uh, the GCC. And every one of those countries is frightened of what Iran could do because they know it wants that instability and violence. Iran is the natural enemy of every single other state uh, in in the Middle East, and therefore, could it trigger something? Could it cause something to occur? Could it act really stupidly and cause a regional war? Yes, it could. I think they would be well advised to not, because the firepower that could be utilized against them is vast and would come from numerous countries uh, acting in concert, not just the United States of America, not just Israel. Maybe Israel wouldn't be engaged at all. But uh, yeah, I do worry about the fact that we could have a regional war without question. And obviously, everybody wants their, you know, fingers are crossed that we will not have that. But, you know, wishing for something does not make necessarily it come true. I think the Americans, again, moving those two carrier battle groups in, uh, a naval task force in the Red Sea, it's got a massive U.S. capability and other nations in the Arabian Sea. And I think those things are going to be sending a very clear message to Iran yeah, we know that you're meddling, we know that you're manipulating, we know that you're causing these deaths. That's the extent of it. We're going to eliminate those links that you have. Don't do anything more because you will suffer incredibly. Do I worry about it, though? Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, looking at Ukraine, do you have concern that it's slipping from the international radar, perhaps, at this time? Uh, Roy, let me go back, if I could, please, be, be, be gentle with me. Let me go back what, to something else you mentioned that I did not comment upon, which is the worldwide demonstrations in support of Hamas. And not in support of Palestinians or, uh, two, or you know, a two-state solution, which, by the way, have, has, has had opportunity and been offered at least five times uh, in, in, a, in less than a century and, and has been turned down. And, and I watched those uh, demonstrations. And yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable that people come out and they advocate for uh, peace right now, or they advocate for humanitarian support. But what I see are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, around Canada, the U.S., and the world advocating for Hamas, those murderers, those people, uh, the, that infamous movie line about it, it, it's doing a disservice to animals to call them animals. They're monsters and monsters they are. Can you imagine what we would, how we would respond in Canada if a year and a half ago, 600 and something days ago, we had Russians in the tens of thousands out saying, kill Ukraines, kill Ukraines, kill Ukraines, 
uh, or, or any other group, we would be uh, apoplectic. We would be angry. Can you imagine if we had Nazi groups out saying, you know, kill Jews? We would be apoplectic, and I think we should be uh, with some of the protest. Yeah, there's a free speech issue, but not when you're supporting a terrorist group, which Canada has said, by the way, is a terrorist group. Yeah. Uh, so I think how we've handled this has been cowardly, quite frankly. It it has been general, and it's been commented on. And I'm glad you I'm glad you uh, you wanted to speak to this because it does reflect on this country. And the uh, the government has been very timid, and or they've been manipulative, taking an international crisis and trying to apply it to their domestic issues and trying to get votes. Um, well, well, that's my assessment. Well, this is not, Roy, an opportunity to look at the political polling and what it would do. This is where ethics got have to stand. This is what our country is about. Are we on the good side of history here? Or are we on the bad side of history because we want some votes and we're afraid to say something, afraid to act in that ethical manner because of votes? That would be appalling. Not the first time it would have happened in history and indeed not in this country, but that would be appalling. General Hillier, this is why people admire you so much and stand with what you say, because what you say is what you believe and what you believe is what most of us do believe. Most Many people don't have the... I don't know, uh, the wherewithal to step forward. Don't want to. Uh, but I, I appreciate every word that you've said, General Hillier. And we have a national, international responsibility. We were massively important in 1956, which was pointed out by a previous guest in the Suez crisis with Lester Pearson getting the uh, Nobel Prize for Peace, uh, then becoming Prime Minister of Canada. We're, we're nowhere near, we don't have anywhere near the credibility now internationally we used to have, well, and that's too bad. Boy, what we had then was leadership. Yeah. Pearson was yeah. a leader. Yeah. Mike Pearson was a leader. And we've had leaders since that time, but we're, you know, when, when we look at leadership uh, across Canada now, it's kind of like a sucking chest wound uh, because it's awfully hard to find. And uh, we had leadership around Mike Pearson, and you can talk and, and, and dispute till the cows come home what he did, how he did it. But the man led a nation and brought a nation with him as opposed to reacting what to what polling you know, was. And somebody, Henry Ford once said, you know, if he had asked customers, potential customers, what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Well, instead, he, he believed that he had the solution to what they wanted. And they just didn't know how to articulate it. And that's what leaders do. They provide that solution to the better place where a nation wants to go. And they bring the people with them by the articulation, the eloquence of their arguments to do so. We haven't seen that. What about Ukraine, General? We have about uh, two minutes. I spoke with the former Ukrainian ambassador to Austria, ambassador at large after 2014, and the annexation of Crimea by Russia. Alexander Sherbo was on the program about an hour ago. Uh, what, What concerns do you have for Ukraine at this particular juncture? Uh, frankly, I articulated my concerns about a year and a quarter ago, said, you know, uh, Putin favors the long war. He's got resources. We talk about how his economy has been impacted negatively, et cetera. Yeah, it is. But actually, then they're changing it and in some respects, making it more robust. And the people around Putin who hold their allegiance to him are getting more powerful, richer, if, if they really need to be any richer than they already are. And, and, and they've got more resources. They've got more people. And he really, Putin really doesn't care how many Russian soldiers die or how many, how much deprivation Russia has to put up with, as long as he comes out on the winning side of the stick here and and sort of reestablishes that Russian empire. So he doesn't care how many people die. He's in for the long game. 
the long game is against Ukraine. You know, we hear about the Russian casualties. We don't hear much about Ukrainian casualties. They're losing a lot of young men and women and obviously a lot of civilians also. And how much longer they can keep doing that is anybody's guess. But what I worried about were events like just occurring right now in the Middle East, taking attention away from the West, pretty much united front uh, in support of Ukraine. Uh, Russia could come up from China, from North Korea, from Iran, uh, and from others uh, with weapons and artillery shells and to, to support them what they're doing. We in the West, as a united front of democracies, advocate ensuring that Ukraine gets it from us also. Okay. Uh, you know, that one of the great challenges in, in the United States is that there's no champion in the armed services of the U.S. Uh, for Ukraine. And the reason for that is they're watching the rest of the world. And so you say, hey, I'm going to send three new air defense batteries to Ukraine, and they'll come out of the Pacific region. Well, the commander of Pacific Command will say to the president, Mr. President, you know, in two years, we could be at war with China. Are you yeah. going to denude me of my air defense to send it to Ukraine right now? Because I will not be able to meet my mission set if you do that. General Hillier. Well, we've got a great we've got a great challenge, as a matter of fact. Uh, the long game is Putin's hard to keep our eye on Ukraine. Uh, but I think for the good of democracies, the good of the worldwide stability, given in mind that China is watching this, right. North Korea is watching this, and how we're going to stand by Ukraine and Israel, uh, we need to make sure we don't lose our eye on that ball also. All right, General. It is equally strategically important. General Hill, you're always an honor to speak with you. Thank you for the time today, sir. Thank you so much. Roy, my pleasure. Thank you. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.